Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Appoint us to sit on one, one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. You are able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism which, with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to appoint but it is for those whom whom it has been prepared. When when the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know know that um, among, among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, the Lord is over them, and their great ones are, tri- are triumphed over them, but it is not so among you. Instead, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slaved for all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rebecca. That was way better than it had any right to be, considering how tired we all are and what day it is. Good morning, everybody. My name is David Bruner. I'm one of the pastors here. Fallen humanity uses power to serve itself. Redeemed humanity uses power to serve others. That's the theme I want to share with you today from our scripture. Before I read that scripture, let's pray together. Holy, mighty, merciful God, I pray, Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit among us as we gather together for worship to hear the words of scripture. Inspire us, open our hearts and minds that we might not only hear your word, but understand it, take it to heart, and live it out in our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who is the word. Amen. So the reading for today is from 1 Samuel 8. When Samuel became old, He made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. 
Yet his sons did not follow in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to govern us. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war in the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, we are determined to have a king over us so that we also may be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and set a king over them. Then Samuel said to the people of Israel, each of you return home. The word of the Lord. Fallen humanity uses power to serve itself. Redeemed humanity uses power to serve others. That's what I want to talk about. Let me set the stage a little bit. As many of you know, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Long Story Short. That's taking us through key parts of the biblical story from Genesis to Revelation. Last week, we looked at the Old Testament book of Joshua and Israel's entry into the Promised Land. Joshua is followed in the Old Testament by the book of Judges, which tells the story of Israel's earliest days in the land. While they were there, they were led by a series of leaders who were called Judges. 
Each judge was appointed by God as a temporary leader, kind of a crisis manager to help resolve a particular problem or issue. And when it was over, the judge stepped down, went back to being an ordinary person. The last judge of Israel is named Samuel. There are two books in the Old Testament named after him, and we meet him in our reading for today. Samuel was a good judge, faithful, wise, widely respected. But there's a problem. His sons don't follow in his footsteps. And so as he, Samuel, gets older and they start looking for someone who might replace him, if there's a problem, his sons don't fit the bill. And in this moment of uncertainty, the elders of Israel approach Samuel and make a surprising request. They say, appoint for us a king to govern us like other nations. And the Bible says this request immediately displeased Samuel, and more importantly, God. So on one hand, they say, appoint us a king like other nations, a big part of the point of the whole Old Testament, and especially the law, is that Israel was not supposed to be like other nations. They were supposed to be holy, unique, in a way that reflected the holiness and uniqueness of the God they worship. Furthermore, the ideal in Israel up to this point was that God would rule directly over his people. There would be no permanent intermediary like a king. Asking for a king to rule Israel is implicitly rejecting this way of life. And God says as much in our scripture. They have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me from being king over them. So this isn't just a political request. It reflects a change in spiritual priorities. Perhaps to Samuel's surprise, however, God agrees to their request. He basically says, go ahead, let them have what they want, but make sure you warn them. Make sure they know what they're getting into. Samuel does so. The people unfortunately don't listen. And in the end, Samuel the judge anoints the first king of Israel, a man named Saul. God allows his people to pursue a course of action he knows won't end. I think this is something many of us can actually relate to in our own lives. We all have moments from time to time when we can see down the road a couple of steps and and we just know this course of action isn't going to work out very well, but we go along with it anyway for whatever reason. Uh, A couple months ago, my wife and I got a new couch to go into our living room at our house, and that meant our old couch could go down into the basement You know, you always have an upstairs couch and a downstairs couch, and the downstairs couch is never as good as the upstairs couch, right? So we're very excited about moving this couch into the basement, but the problem is it's, it's ginormous. It's a sectional couch. You have to take it into two chunks, and then you have to carry them down one at a time. And I'm, I'm, we get it into the, the top of the stairs going into the basement, and I look at the stairs, and I look at the couch, and I look at the stairs, and I look at the couch, and I think to myself, this is not going to fit. It's not going to fit. So I turn to my lovely wife, Becca, and I say, Becca, are we sure we want to do this? And she says, well, Dave, I think it'll fit. And I say, really? Because I don't think so. And she says, no, I definitely think it'll fit. And so we, we talk for a little bit, 
long story short, we decided to see if it was going to fit. And it did not. Um, I don't know how to explain this. Part of the couch got lodged in the stairwell going into the basement. It was like levitating a couple feet off the ground. Uh, and then that's when I knew we were in trouble. So I had to literally climb under the couch and shift from trying to pull it down to trying to push it out. It was a nightmare. Now, I'm telling you this story for two reasons. The first is that this is a story where I was right and my wife was wrong. <laughs> and I need to share those stories with you because they've happened very rarely. It's like a semi-annual thing, right? 99% of the time I'm like, my keys are not there. And then she looks and they're right there, right? So I needed to share that story with you. But the second thing is that's a little bit like what's going on here. It's a situation where God knows having kings is not going to work out all that well for Israel, but he allows it to go ahead. Fallen humanity uses power to serve itself. Redeemed humanity uses power to serve others. That's what we see in this passage. When Israel asks Samuel to give them a king, I think the warning he offers is very compelling because he doesn't say, oh, God's going to get you. Well, you better watch out. He just tells them what the king will be like. He just describes the behavior of the king. And there's this long description of the king's behavior in which he uses the word take no less than six times. The king will take your sons and daughters to serve in his army and at court. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and one-tenth of your grain. He will take your cattle, your flocks, and your herds. He will take, 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 take. In other words, the king will serve himself. He will enrich himself at your expense. That's what the king is going to do. When I read this, I couldn't help but be reminded of that old Beatles song. Let me tell you how it's, it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me. That's what we're talking about. And in the end, it's positively scary. Samuel says, you shall be his slaves. Well, that's a phrase that should have made the hair of every Israelite, listen, stand up on end. Because we know from scripture, they had already been slaves. They were a people that defined themselves by having been delivered by God from slavery. They knew what it was like to have someone else take and take and take until there was nothing left. They should have not wanted to return to that situation. And yet here they are going right back into it, not on accident or out of ignorance, but in spite having been very clearly warned by Samuel. And in fact, what we see in the rest of the Old Testament is that the kings of Israel turned out to be at best, a very mixed bag. Some of them were good, and the Old Testament singles them out for praise, people like King David or King Josiah, men who at least tried their best to be faithful to God, tried to put the common good first. But in the eyes of Scripture, many more of the kings were bad than good. King Solomon accumulated vast wealth and built this insanely lavish temple for God, he also kept a lot of the money for himself. King Ahab framed a wealthy landowner for a crime so that he could steal his fields. King Ahaz 
strips the gold and silver out of the temple that Solomon built so he could bribe foreign leaders with it. The list goes on and on and on. So this situation Israel finds itself in, of being governed by a king who serves himself rather than the people, is powerfully ironic given their history. It's also universally recognizable. Everywhere we go, we see that fallen humanity uses power to serve itself, to enrich itself. A small minority uses their power and influence not to seek the common good, but to amass more and more wealth and power for themselves. You all know this, I assume, because you are residents of the state of Illinois, <laughs> the land of Rostenkowski, Ryan, and Blagojevich. Sounds like a law firm, right? The worst possible law firm ever. I remember my, my dad growing up in Oak Park, he went to some political event and he met a famous politician from Illinois and I said, oh dad, that had to be cool. What, would his, what was it like? And my dad, a little wiser than I was, said, eh, he seemed like an operator. <laughs> and later that person went to prison, so. <laughs> but you don't have to wind up in prison to use power selfishly. One of the things we see around the world is people using power in this way. Look at the so-called crony capitalism that you have today in Russia and China, where big business and big government work hand in glove to make themselves rich and leave ordinary people out in the cold. Look at something as seemingly boring as our tax laws. According to reporting by the nonprofit group ProPublica, from 2014 to 2018, the 25 richest Americans paid a true federal tax rate of 3.4%. By contrast, most American households paid about 14% in federal taxes. 55% of the largest corporations in America paid no federal corporate income tax at all in 2020. Now that's all legal, but whatever the legal reasoning behind it, those tax people, those tax policies benefit a few people at the expense of everyone else. In scripture, we see clearly the ugly reality of how fallen humanity uses power. That's what's going on in 1 Samuel 8. Fallen humanity uses power to serve themselves. But that's not all scripture shows us. Scripture shows us another way, a better way, a different way, a redeemed way. Because redeemed humanity uses power to serve others. And that's why I chose that reading from Mark 10 that Rebecca read for us a few minutes ago. Jesus really drives this point home. The message of Mark and all the gospels is that Jesus is the true king of Israel. He is the Messiah the one from David's line, the one who fulfills all of Israel's hopes. He is. But he is also a very different kind of king than all the ones that came before him. In his kingdom, greatness is found not by accumulating power and prestige for oneself, but by giving it away. Whoever wants to be first in Jesus' kingdom must be last, and whoever wants to be great must be a servant. Jesus knelt and washed his disciples' feet. He rode a donkey into Jerusalem and not a stallion. He reversed all of our expectations of what wielding power looks like. 
That's Jesus' way. That's how he redeems power. And it's important for us to acknowledge, specifically as Christians, that our goal is not to do away with power, to abolish it, to ignore it, but to redeem it, to make proper use of it. The solution to many of our problems is not less power, but power used redemptively and wisely to serve others. I think of a man named Rich Stearns. He grew up poor, he worked hard, he went away to college, and then he went to business school and he was very successful in the corporate world. He got ahead. In 1995, he was named president of the Lennox Corporation, a company with a $500 million budget and 4,000 employees. He had it made, except for a little voice nagging in his mind. The voice was God, and God was calling him, it turned out, to walk away from his business career and to serve as CEO of World Vision, one of the biggest Christian development organizations in the whole world. Rich Stearns took about a 75% pay cut to accept that position. As president of World Vision, he used all the same skills that helped him get ahead in the corporate world. Strategic planning, financial analysis, leading teams, and he still had a lot of power. He was still at the top of the org chart but he used that power to serve others, to serve his team, and especially to serve the poor and the marginalized in the developing world. Under his leadership, World Vision became leaders in addressing the AIDS crisis in sub-Saharan Africa, and later in responding to the global refugee crisis. Rich Stearns didn't just give up his power when he left corporate America, he redirected it towards serving others. I think, too, of the civil rights movement here in America. Jim Crow racism, as it was practiced in the last century, was essentially an effort to deny African Americans the power due to them as citizens, to take away the power of the ballot, especially. And the civil rights movement was a self-conscious effort to combat that, not just by praying about it, not simply by asking nicely, but by amassing and using power redemptively to confront sin. All the meetings, all the sit-ins, all the marches, all the bus boycotts, all the arrests, they were designed to use power redemptively, to bring to light what was happening all over America, to confront America with it and to force it maybe to change its ways. They used power redemptively, and it worked. And we should all be thankful to them. We don't need less power. We need more power used wisely and redemptively. Fallen humanity uses power to serve itself. Redeemed humanity uses power to serve others. That's what we see in the Old Testament and the stories of the kings and their many flaws and foibles, and that's what we see in the New Testament and the story of Jesus, the king who did not come to be served, but to serve.
That's what we're called to practice. That's what we're called to put into practice in every area of our life. So I want you to think about this for a second. Where are the areas in your life where you've been vested with power? Some of you are managers and supervisors at your workplace. You have a team working for you. You've been vested with a lot of power over those people, and I know many of you take that very seriously. I want you to think about how you can use that power not just to improve your bottom line, but to serve those who work alongside you. What would it be like if you did that? Some of you are spouses and parents. And even though it may not always feel like it, you have been vested with a lot of power. I want you to think about how you can use that power, not just to get your own way, but to love and serve those who God has given you in your family. What would that look like? All of you are citizens of Naperville, of Illinois, of America. And it may not feel like it, but we've been vested with a lot of power as citizens. What if we approached politics not as an exercise in getting what we want or implementing the policies that benefit us and our group? What if instead we tried to redeem political power by using it to serve and bless others? especially those in need. What would that look like? Dear friends, hear the wisdom of Scripture. Let's use power not like the kings of old, but like Jesus the King, to bless and serve others. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.